standard in the information age, but facts are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth with FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. It is the American Radicals Podcast. Today's Thursday. It's high noon. Welcome to it on Rumble. It's the AmRadPod, rumble.com slash AmRadPod. We are happy to have everyone with us in the chat. Uh, we are every Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday at noontime. If you are listening on the podcast to the audio format later on when we drop the podcast there, make sure that you give us a subscribe and a five-star review. If you're watching with us on Rumble right now, smash the like button, give us a follow. And if you want to subscribe, that'd be fantastic. It all goes to support the show. As we are moving on now, we are in episode 31. We're becoming like a legit podcast. It's It's got some staying power with you folks as we're seeing the viewership go up. Uh, today, Garrett and I finally back together. It feels so good to be back with my friend and colleague, the GOB Actual. We are going to give this thing the old college try today. We are now streaming straight off of Rumble. Uh, so you folks are the beta test. There might be some learning scars today. Uh, and the first among them is, let's see if I can actually get Garrett up here. Oh, it works. One for one. Victory is a little bit at a time. Garrett, I know you've been under the weather the last few days. It kind of hit me too. Uh, you know, our we, we, it's like that commercial where people are walking around with giant noses. I think we both kind of feel that way. Um, and uh, we're going to we're gonna try to stay on like one or two topics today in long form, which I know you like. Get straight into your comfort zone so we can make you happy that way. Uh, and we're not going to try to overwhelm the system because we know that you're you're playing with basically one arm behind your back. How you yeah. doing, though, outside of that? I'm doing all right. You guys can probably tell I'm still a tad under the weather. It's been a, I don't know, it's been five days for me. Everybody in my house is sick now. I think it's been like eight for Heidi. Um, just it's just like a slow, a slow recovery. We don't know what it is. We don't really care what it is. Why would we test, right? And unless the government is forcing us to for some man-made virus coming out of a lab in China. But uh no, it's gonna be back in the saddle. Uh Steve and I were chatting a little bit before the show, so it's always good to have a, a confidant and a friend who has a similar life experience over the last few years to just bounce things off and and talk about and then we get to come and, and share some of that with you and hopefully in a little bit more of a refined way uh than in in the ventful angry fashion that perhaps i was engaged in earlier well we might get you uh geeked up again because today's Probably. topic <laughs> is because we're going to call it uh, what i see uh, that will become evident to you when, when you get to the, the latter half of the of the program today. We're going to cover down, though, on more detail. Miranda Devine wrote a story a few weeks ago uh, about the Oversight Committee out of Congress. Did a uh, They looked deep dive into the FBI and its DEI hiring practices. And Miranda was able to cull through that report, which she linked to in her story. And we're going to talk about her story because she talked, she touched on some of the, the highlights or lowlights, if you will. And then the FBI felt necessary to respond internally and apparently didn't get leaked the way they hoped it would. So they, and then they actually published it in an email called What I See from the assistant director in charge of the training division. And we will get to that. And then Garrett and I can give you our perspectives on what we saw and what we continue to see. Before we go to that, we're going to uh, bring up the show sponsor for today, the True Earth Pharmacy. 
make sure that you are giving them a visit, guys. TrueEarth.co. When you go to the website, you can use the AMRAD podcast promotion code. It's AMRAD24. Uh, was seeing last time when we had the interview with uh, G Van Fleet that some of you guys were actually going to the website and buying some of the, the farming supplies, some of the fertilizer. We're in that time of year. My wife works in the fertilizer industry, so planting season is upon us. If you have the home garden, you can uh, you can benefit from the products that they have there. Or if you're like Garrett and me, both sort of under the weather, I know you're kind of kicking your own butt for not double dosing on your lion's mane. Uh, you can do that to, to take care of the body. So make sure you go to trueearth.co and use AMRAD24. You'll get 10% off on the store, all store wide. And if you spend over $80, it is free shipping. It's a great American company. Everything from the farm all the way to the table is made in the great United States of America. So thank you for sponsoring the program, True Earth. And uh, we're gonna get to it right off the bat here. And this was the New York Post article. Um, and again, folks, we are uh, streaming off of Rumble today. So we're going to be sort of a learning learning curve. We're going to try to do best we can with it. Um, and I'm trying to play with the images. They're a little bit small if you happen to be watching. Um, I'll pull this one up, though. This is from the uh, the Miranda Devine article that we want to we kind of do a deep dive into and read some, some long ex excerpts from. Miranda Devine, New York Post, quote, DEI hires pushed out onto the FBI are putting the country's safety at risk for the sake of being woke. And she put this out about two weeks ago on Jan January 24th. Garrett, the, uh, the the way it opens, I think, is, is worth, do, before we get your thoughts, um, I'll read that. And it is an alarming deterioration in recruitment standards for the FBI have been exposed in a report delivered by the House Judiciary Committee by an alliance of retired and active duty agents and analysts, diversity, equity, and inclusion requirements pushed by FBI Director Chris Ray have degraded recruitment standards in all areas, including physical fitness, illicit drug use, financial irregularity, mental health, full-time work experience, and integrity, and pose a threat to the FBI's ability to protect America from harm, say the authors. Sounds like uh, prime recruiting for a secret police, doesn't it? Get them, get them to lack their integrity. Just get them to say yes. Just get them to already have a criminal background. And that way, when you tell them to go kick in people's doors like a brown shirt, they'll just do it. Because why not? Yes, especially the, I'm, I'm sort of troubled by the end, the last one, integrity, because it's yeah. one of these innocuous terms or, or just kind of means whatever it means to other people. Um, and we'll, we'll get into what some of those are. Uh, the... The physical fitness standards, I think, was something that the FBI took quite a bit of umbrage with, even though you and I can both testify to the fact that the, the physical fitness standards for the FBI are not overwhelmingly difficult no. to, to meet for most people who you would think want to enter that line of work. Yeah. Um, and the illicit drugs, and we're, we're in a new age now, I guess, you know, we're everybody's doing weed, and, and whereas it was a, a disqualifying factor for, for me, I know when I was applying, maybe you even a few years later, uh, now it's sort of like we don't want to talk about it as long as it's not within the last 12 months. Yeah. Uh, when I when I got hired, it was 10 years. If you if you hadn't smoked any weed in 10 years, uh, you were good. And then any other drug use, no matter how long, it was an immediate disqualifier. And so that's gone. And it's like, hmm, okay. Most elite 
most integrity filled, most character filled, most fidelity filled and bravery filled organization. But hey, you can't keep your nose clean of the of the white powder ever. And you're in now, apparently. Well, I mean, I guess it makes you really qualified to be able to help with the OSADEF cases, the yeah, Organized yeah. Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force for those yeah. who are not initiated to government acronym. If you get an OSADEF case, essentially you have unlimited amounts of funds to pursue a drug case. And, and all you need are at least one cooperating partner. So it'll be the DEA and the FBI team up. And then they, of course, claim credit for it mutually uh, or separately. They'll, they'll both claim that they stopped a drug dealer and, and double up on the stats and they can then throw to Congress and say, look, we I know we dropped a million dollars on this investigation, but look, look at all this drugs and money and guns. I think I saw this week even they were bragging about that the FBI did, uh, they did 12 control buys from someone over a six month period. And then when they executed the search warrant after this OSADEF case, they were able to seize twenty thousand dollars in crypto oh, was how the much of the squeeze there <laughs> i mean I, I would think that most of the twenty thousand dollars actually came from the fbi and and who oh, knows yeah. in the six months how many people died of a fentanyl overdose because this person was selling online uh but you would only be able to carry forward that investigation through an osadef because of the funding that you would need and the doj would just throw lumps of cash at you yep and now uh these agents these newer agents coming through with their drug backgrounds and histories that they're taking the the whole uh, uh my training and experience phrase to a whole new level aren't they yeah yeah i mean they, they can definitely they don't even have to do the thing where they stab the knife into it and taste it and say yeah it's pure <laughs> i mean yeah. they, they can probably just just tell well, what variation especially of marijuana they, they they go to the dispensaries and and they know where everything is located within there <laughs> but we'll go back to the article and uh, like i said we're, we're going to sort of approaches the way that we've approached some of these long form articles from Trevor Aronson and, and from Murtaza Hussein, because there's a lot in there. And if you want to read it for yourself, go to the New York Post. You can check the archives for Miranda Devine. She's a friend of mine, friend of the program. Uh, I can I stay in pretty uh, frequent contact with her. I actually sent her the copy of the FBI email uh, that we're going to read later. And it was when it was not public, it was sent to me by one of my little birdies on the inside of the FBI. And I handed it over to Miranda and she might be uh, breaking that out to a wider wider audience through the New York Post and, and her her reach. But then the FBI sort of scooped us all and then put it out because uh, I don't think that enough of their left-wing friends in the media, no Bill Arkins or, uh, or Riley's uh, went, and, went and grabbed it. So they wanted it out there in wider form. So back to the, the, uh, the, the Post article. Flying in the face of Chris Ray's boast to Congress last year that recruitment numbers are soaring, especially in red states, which... You remember he said that to, to Matt Gates when, when Gates confronted him. Yep. Uh, the report finds the FBI's special agent hiring numbers are down, likely due to the decline in the nation's trust in the FBI and a corresponding decrease in the number of individuals interested in applying to the FBI for employment. The report is written as if it were an official FBI intelligence product with code names given to source and subsources who are anonymously provided firsthand knowledge of FBI recruitment and selection practices. So it seems like the Judiciary Committee got its own snitches from inside the FBI to give them this information and they didn't want to out them. So they gave them all these like Sierra code names. Uh, they include the, the, the sources include instructors and counselors at the FBI Academy. Application coordinators, coordinators who work in all 56 field offices. I mean, I applied to the Atlanta field office 
I imagine you did through Milwaukee. Yep, Milwaukee. And just a point on, on them, on the application coordinators, applicant coordinators. If if they're talking to applicant coordinators, rest assured that those are the people who are certainly in the know about who is applying and who is getting hired because everything goes through them. Like your meet and greet, all the different phases. You can go on the FBI's website and there's like, what is there, Steve? Like 10, 11 different phases. And every single one, your applicant coordinator is you know, orchestrating, sending you a schedule, sending you the time, sending you whatever, getting you situated to get you through or, or see that you fail, you know? And, and so if they're talking to applicant coordinators, they know exactly what they're talking about because they're pulling. I remember when I first met at my meet and greet, it was a one-on-one in Milwaukee. It's a small office, probably not a ton of applicants or however it worked out. It was one-on-one and he's like, yeah, we did a criminal background on you. And so they run a criminal background check on you. Like it's, that's not that difficult to do. Just punch people's name into the NCIC computer and they can run your background. So they're going to find out if you did drugs in the past. So these applicant coordinators, they know. And so we'll get into it more later with the FBI's response, but it's it's definitely two different sides of, of the story that, that we're going to unfold here. Well, my applicant coordinator, she was, she was not a real pleasure to deal with. And she made my life pretty hard until uh, eventually she was replaced or she moved on to something else. I had to make 12 separate trips to the Atlanta field office wow. over the hiring process. So it was four years and Atlanta was about a four hour drive. So, uh, Dude, about, that's so crazy. Yeah. Because that like, that's so different than my experience. Like my applicant coordinator, I actually thought was pretty awesome guy. He was a air force vet. I forget what he did. It was similar to what the, the pipeline Kyle was in. I don't know if it was like, attack P or, uh, you know, air, air traffic controller, or it was one of the air force special operations, um, sides of the house, but like he would, I mean, he was fair. I thought he was fair. You know, he graded my PFTs and stuff and kept in somewhat decent contact with me, but it only took like a year, like just shy of a year. And I was off to Quantico Man, four years, four yeah. years, is my 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 venture uh, all the way through that took crazy. me <laughs> basically it was 50 percent of my actual career length in the fbi yeah. was, <laughs> was the application process uh so to the story from miranda veteran supervisor who they're calling sierra 72 he disqualified a black female applicant because she was more than 50 pounds overweight using the fbi's body fat index and could not pass the physical fitness test but FBI headquarters ordered Sierra 72, this, this supervising special agent, to push the candidate through the recruitment process anyway. Other supervisors say a high percentage of candidates fail the mandatory fitness test despite the fact that standards have been relaxed. Back to what we were talking about with this physical fitness standard. And I'll own it. Uh, the sprint, the 300-meter sprint was uh, not good for me. I don't have sprint speed. I me barely either. passed it. Uh, I mean, look at me. <laughs> I'm not a sprinter. I'm not a. I'm not like uh, Gimli in Lord of the Rings. You know, <laughs> dangerous over saying? short distances. Yeah. Us dogs <laughs> are natural sprinters. Or whatever. To, to to break it down for people, you have to do uh, four four particular components. It starts with sit ups, max effort sit ups in one minute, and then you have a five minute break, and you have to do a 300 meter sprint, and then you have a five minute break, and then you have to do max effort push ups five minute break, and then you have to do a mile and a half run. 
and the, the protocols, they try to get you a little bit because the sit-ups, your fingers had, well, at least they've now changed it, but it used to be the fingers had to be interlaced behind your head. If your fingers came apart, then you were done. Uh, Push-ups, if you paused at all, they could theoretically stop it. It had to be continuous motion, so you couldn't pause in like that front-leaning rest pl plank position and catch your breath or readjust your hands or anything like that. You'd be done. Uh, but... I think even now the, uh, the the standards for men applying to the FBI is like twenty nine or thirty push ups is is what you have to do, and you have to run like a twelve minute twenty five second mile and a half. It's will we'll get you a pass. So even slower than an eight minute pace, which is not really world caliber speed to go through. No, um, but it, I always said the physical fitness test is the only test applying to the FBI that you know all the answers to ahead of time. It's yep. public information. And mm -hmm. what they're saying here in this article that we'll get into later is people in the mile and a half run are so unprepared that they will stop in the middle of the run and, and yeah. just walk. It's crazy. Like, uh, I, I think this actually goes to a deeper aspect of, of people's character for when they apply to the FBI. Are you going to take the initiative to prepare yourself? Like I'm a big dude. I think uh, hopefully people have seen the picture of us at Mar-a-Lago with me, you and Kyle. I, I, I'm a lot larger than you guys. And <laughs> I, you know, I've always been large, but when it was, uh, whether I was in the military because the P the PT standards there, or when I was trying to become a police officer, the PT standards, all the, this career field, it's typical body weight exercises, push-ups, sit-ups, maybe pull-ups in some of them and a sprint and a, a longer run. And I like to lift weights and not run, you know? And, but it's like, okay, well, if you really want this, what are you gonna do? And before I even applied to the FBI, I was like looking at the PFT standards. They have them, it's all, like you said, you have the answers. They're all on the FBI website, fbi.gov, you can go find them. And it's like, okay, I'm gonna start catering my workouts towards this type of, of routine because I wanna become an FBI agent. And so you put your best foot forward and then you got to keep that up during the whole hiring process because you have a couple PFTs throughout and then you got one at Quantico that you got to pass. And then, yeah, like you said, you show up and people are walking and it's like, how did you pass the PFTs like to even get here? But when I was in Wichita, I would uh, assist our uh, fit instructor sometimes for applicants. And I saw it. People getting to maybe even halfway through and then just like quitting or running like one lap once they get to the 1.5 mile run and just quitting. And it's like, but why aren't you prepared for this part? You know, but I also talked to a fit advisor last week and they are confirming the things that are in this article, which they didn't even know about this article that it was out. And they said, yeah, you know, I'm a fit instructor and you know, I, I I've known this, person for a while and I, you know, no need to name the field officer or anything like that, but they do the PFTs for applicants and for agents and for people involved. And they were saying, cause there was also a, uh, a round table with Chris Ray where he was kind of getting into the weeds about the hiring process, maybe not even the weeds, but basically saying that people, the, the critics are all wrong. And this fit instructor is telling me that that's a lie. It's just blatantly a lie from the director. Another one, mark it down. It's another lie from director Ray because they're like, I see it all the time when I, when I do these PFTs and, and, and then they were also saying how the, 
uh, threshold to even get to Quantico has been lowered. Like you don't even have to pass the PFT anymore. You just have to pass one of the exercises and then you can get shipped off to Quantico. That's not how it used to be. The the physical fitness test, and you don't need to be a Navy SEAL or an Olympic decathlete. It shows integrity. It shows commitment. You can, like yourself, set a long-term goal and say, look, I'm not where I want to be or where I have to be, but I can plot out a plan and think through and strategize how I'm going to get there. I think those are the sort of character qualities that are revealed with the physical fitness pro program. And then on top of that, you have the added benefits of you want people who are healthy because you're going to pay for their health insurance. You want people who present well to the public when they go out and interview. You don't want to be to have a fat slob. But the fact that Christopher Ray can sit around a conference table and the hubris and never having been questioned say, well, that's just a lie because right. I don't want it to be true. That's that's a lie. And yeah. it's, it's not just the physical fitness. You go back to this article, and this is Miranda Devine covered this down on uh, uh, in the New York Post. January 24th is when she did. I'll pull up the image of it. One veteran agent who works as a recruitment coordinator, his code name is Sierra 87, said the drug policy for new agents has been liberalized to include applicants who had lifestyle of using drugs. A candidate who was arrested and fought with police officers was not disqualified nor are candidates with DUI convictions or people with documented mental illness, <laughs> nor are candidates who lie during the recruitment process. Back to Sierra 72, disqualified a special agent applicant because their only work experience was working two years as a <coughs> coffee shop barista, <laughs> Starbucks barista, and having a bachelor's degree in art history. But FBI headquarters ordered the Sierra 72 to push the applicant through Sierra 23, a special agent for four years in counterterrorism. Uh, this is a person who's not even a GS-13, that means. They're, they're, they're very shortly after their time in Quantico. This is how rapidly that this devolution has happened. They observed that the most new agents disappear during the day, go home early, and <laughs> never want to work late for after-hour operations. How about that? Can you imagine being a crusty old agent when you're four years in? Dude, I... <laughs> It's like, I mean, what else can you do but laugh? You know, like, it's just so absurd. I I don't know if I've said this on a podcast before. I probably have. But with our backgrounds, both as cops beforehand, like, I got to a point doing that job where I was working graveyard where I didn't like it. Like, it just took its toll. But then when I was an FBI agent, typically working... You know, I would usually I would I would usually go to the office pretty early because I'd like to get my workout in like first thing and then carry on with my day. But let's call it eight to five or seven to four thirty or whatever it might have been. Sometimes it, you know, whatever. But when uh when when we had the opportunity to actually do something like that would take us into the night, into the middle of the night, maybe even on the road a little bit, which which happened on occasion. Like I think of a couple instances. My case is too, which was kind of cool, but um, where me and half the squad or whatever we could get, we end up in a snowstorm, you know, three, four hours away from Wichita because we're following a subject. And then, you know, you end up in like a, a cockroach infested hotel and like, you know, I'm texting the boss like, hey, are they going to pay for my hotel? Like, can I submit this tomorrow? And then, um, or, you know, just like having, there's an another one. We had a subject coming up from Texas. So SOG in texas took it to oklahoma sog from oklahoma city brought it to the kansas border then we picked it up 
because our SOG wasn't on it. My squad was. And then it's another one. It took us all through the night. And that, that was like a weekend too. And it's like, in those instances, it's like, this is actually fun. This is in part why I wanted to become an FBI agent is to do this stuff. And now you have new agents saying, I don't want to do that. I want to go home early and not really work. And it's like the, the whole DEI thing. And we've been touching on DEI a bit lately, but what it does is it destroys institutions that were once great. And the FBI is, is another victim of that because how long is it going to be Steve before there is another actual legitimate terrorist attack because some FBI agent doesn't want to do the work. I, I don't think it's going to be much longer. I hope I'm I, wrong, but I have conversations because I, I do speaking engagements fairly regularly at this point. And uh, the, the, the question I get, especially from old, old, these younger guys who are maybe military or, or law enforcement, even college. And they're like, Hey, I want to get into federal law enforcement. Uh, do you think it's a good idea? And I don't want to tell them how to chart their entire life in that, that brief interaction I have with them. But the question I think it's worth asking is, do you want to do the job of an FBI agent or do you want to have the job of an FBI agent? And those are very different. I think yeah. you and I wanted to do the job, which is why you think that being up in a roach motel on a weekend chasing after a suspect is fun because you wanted to do that job. Right. Yeah. And it didn't matter to you, but just having the title and it's essentially a title of nobility for so many of these people that are coming in now, they just want to have the job and then punch out, you know, show up, I'm sure at eight 29 because eight 30 is, is the late cutoff and they're, they're leaving early and federal Friday is their thing. They're punching out a yeah. couple of hours early. They have their paid mental wellness and their pay, paid physical fitness. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they're engaging in all the, the regular festivities that a headquarters city has, which in that Omaha, it was like, every time I was there, I had to go down there and be like, Oh, we're having sloppy Joe lunch today and a movie day. And I mean, it was like, camp not yeah. really a professional work environment and that's a relatively small field office i think it's probably similar around the country because those ideas don't just originate in omaha and stay right. in omaha they, yeah. they proliferate around or i'm sure we adopted it from somebody else um we'll cover back down on this the other recruiters have to be given remedial english classes because they are not capable of writing other recruits sorry, not recruiters. They're not capable of writing basic reports in a coherent manner and often fail to utilize proper capitalization, punctuation, and sentence structure. People that have grown up do with emojis on their phone. In one case, a training agent, Sierra 11 advised a new agent that his writing skills needed improvement and that the new agent needed to pay attention to detail. The new agent complained to the supervisor and that the, that the Sierra 11 was too difficult and expecting too much of them. A female recru uh, minority recruit, female minority recruit could not compose a simple FD 302, which is the bread and butter of the FBI. That's the contemporaneous memorandum that you write after you do an interview or you conduct an operation or arrest somebody. It's basically the report, the police report, the standard FBI interview report. And Sierra 79 said a criminal investigator of four de uh, decades said the agent never made a case or wrote an affidavit and had to be pulled along to support investigations and could not be trusted in court. During the agent's probationary period, her supervisor went up to the chain of command to request that her employment be terminated, but was told we need minority female agents. How about that? I mean, okay, so just take the facts of what you just read could not compose a simple fd302 said an investigator with four decades of experience uh never made a case or wrote an affidavit and had to be pulled along 
I don't care if you're a white male, a black male, a Hispanic male, a white female, a black female, an Asian male or female. I don't care what you are. If you can't do those things, you can't be an FBI agent, plain and simple. If you don't have arms and legs, you can't be a fireman. You don't have the skill set or the, the requisite tools to do the job. I mean, you might have the heart for it. You might really want to have the job. Heck, you might even really want to do the job. Yeah. But you're not capable of it. And it's not discriminatory or or mean or racist or whatever you want to label it to say, sorry, you, you need not apply here because of that fact. And if you don't have the skill set, if you've not put in the the commitment to pass a physical fitness test, if you've not put in the commitment to learn how to read and write in basic English, you don't get to say, well, my dreams to be an FBI agent and you have to hire me. Yeah. And to like, then complain when there's any sort of constructive criticism or corrective action taken against you, especially when you're on probation, because yeah. you don't know what you don't know. You should accept any sort of criticism as a way to just to get better. Right. And this is the other aspect of it they don't really touch on, but how did these applicants make it this far? Well, they're not even applicants anymore. They're hired. They're probationary. Like, how did you get through phase two? Like <laughs> when, when you can't write a report, how did that happen? You know? And I'm sure it was again, ah, just, just push them through because, you know, we need to diversify. I have a funny phase two story for you. Uh, so for folks who don't know, there's multiple phases to get hired. Phase two is really unusual. They fly you or take make you go to a, a, a third location, not your regular office you go to. People from all around the region get there. You have to do a written portion of, um, and then you have to do a, an interview with three agents where they ask you these questions that are kind of off the wall. But the written portion uh, is essentially, in, for me, the, the scenario is you're the new agent, they hand you their dog of a case, and you have to read through the case file and say, hey, should we shut this down? Should we continue this case? And what, what, would, your, what would you be your recommendations? And they want to see that you can read and write and that you have a head on your shoulders, I'm sure. I'm sure that's essentially what yeah. it is. And it was, a, it was a terrorism case, and obviously there was... You know, oh, a postman looks in as he's delivering and he sees bomb making material. What what would you do? And I just I wrote it like a police report. I'd, yep, I'd been writing for I, years. I yep. And the there was a guy there who was jumping between every federal agency. He he did <sighs> customs and border patrol. He was doing this and that. And now he was going to try to get to the FBI. And I remember afterwards, he and I had been having conversation uh, before that morning when you're sitting around. And I, he's, I said, yeah, how'd that go for you? He's like, man, I just, you know, I didn't know what to write. And I said, well, I mean, what, what'd you want to put? And he goes, no, I, I didn't know what to write. So I didn't put anything. Oh, I just gosh. left it blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, nowadays he'd probably be hired. Yeah, yeah. They'd say, oh, here's uh, somebody we can really mold. We'll tell them That's what to right. put. <laughs> blank canvas. We yeah. love it. All right. So that uh, so Miranda basically breaks it down, and, and her her general takeaway is that this is putting the country in danger as far it as is, national sure. security goes, and yeah. as far as just addressing all criminal violations across the board. Anytime you're going to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion over merit and quality, and even integrity, as they say, mm -hmm. then by definition, your work product and your achieving that mission is going to suffer. Uh, it can't coexist with that. Well, the FBI took great umbrage with this this story, and uh, I don't. And I think that they then leaned on their current assistant director in charge to send out a bureau wide email in the last few days, 
and they sent it on the high side, the classified side, and the unclassified side. I think that it was their hope that it would be leaked because they were very, very proud of this letter. And before we get into this email, I think it's worth noting who is the assistant director in charge of training for the FBI. Her name is Jacqueline McGuire. Now, Jacqueline McGuire might or might not sound familiar to you. Certainly sounds familiar to me. I like to talk about Jackie quite a bit. Uh, Garrett, do you want to go into who is Jackie McGuire? Jacqueline McGuire is one of your standard FBI senior executive staff type employees very minimal career as an fbi agent couple years and just promotes through the ranks as she's wanting to do like many of her colleagues uh eventually and then steve please fill in the gaps for folks but what stands out the most to me is when she wound up in baltimore philadelphia philadelphia she wound up in philadelphia and uh she's the sac there special agent in charge so the number one agent in all of Philadelphia. And she takes her little pooch out for a walk and ends up getting in a deadly use of force scenario against somebody else's dog and kills it. And then, as we say, screw up, move up in the FBI. She ended up being cleared of any wrongdoing and was promoted. You neglected her other highlight from Philadelphia. And that was signing off on the raid at Mark Houck's home. Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) Where they sent a dozen armed agents to go arrest him for a face act violation in front of his seven children while he was making a quiche in his flip-flops and shorts because he was outside doing street counseling outside of Planned Parenthood in Philadelphia. And an employee came and accosted his son, so he pushed his son. Cleared by the locals and states of any charges, but the FBI Civil Rights Division is very unhappy with the Dobbs-Jackson decision from the Supreme Court. So they've now made it their purpose to go after pro-life advocates. And, and so uh, Mark Hawk took Go that. ahead, sir. Like, no, he took that all the way and was acquitted. Yeah, and thank was God. acquitted, like, really quickly, too. And this is what... This case, like I, I imagine most of the people listening probably are at least tertiarily f- familiar with, with the Mark Houck case, but this is why it stands out so much to me. The FBI, last I checked, part of their mission statement was to uphold the Constitution of the United States. When the local police department who, who arrived, who likely went into Planned Parenthood, watched the video, saw Mark push the guy after the guy verbally accosted his son, also, by the way, not at the entrance of the clinic, which remember the FBI charged him and the DOJ charged him with the FACE Act violation. That's freedom of access to clinic entrances. That's what the FACE part stands for. He was a block down the street. He wasn't at the entrance of the clinic. That guy wasn't there to seek care because he's a man and he can't be pregnant. <laughs> he's there just to counter protest Mark. And so the police show up and like police do, it's like, okay kind of like a mutual scuffle, nothing too serious. Don't talk smack to this guy's kid and you, hey, don't don't push him around, all right? That guy didn't like that. And remember, Philadelphia is is massively, massively blue. Their DA is massively woke, DEI-centric. You'd think they would chomp at the bit for this case, but they looked at it and said, there's nothing here. And then even civilly, it was tossed. And then, only then, did the mighty FBI snatch it up and say we're going to get him on a face act like this is lawfare at its finest this is weaponization at its finest this is two-tiered justice at its finest whatever you want to call it that's what they did that's jackie mcguire 
that's even more important than her smoking somebody else's dog. <laughs> and now she gets to give guns to the new agents because she's in charge of training. So that's that's good to know. It's very comforting. Um, but to her email, which we'll, uh, we'll we have a screen capture of, I'll throw it up there. The FBI actually put this out. Multiple Twitter accounts controlled by the FBI have shared it. Uh, and the, the the email is subject line is, does the FBI look different? It sure does. What I see. And I will read this in the voice of Jack McGuire. Uh, try not to vomit. Garrett, you are free. Um, you have a firing solution. You can fire when ready to inter interrupt if you just can't stomach it anymore. Uh, <laughs> I'll read some excerpts from it and we'll get some thoughts. Here's what I see as the head of the FBI Training Academy at Quantico, Virginia. I see the men and women who arrive here as new agent trainees after a remarkably arduous application process. Side note, why is she assuming there's only two genders? I see them study and train. I see them learn and grow. I see them graduate to become an integral part of the FBI. I see today's FBI and its future walking our hallways. And the quality of our new agents is superb. Last year, we graduated almost 900 new agents. In 2022, we graduated about 1,000. Okay, can I stop you already? <laughs> Send it. What is her basis for saying they're superb? What is she basing that on? Just because you you graduated 900 last year? Like, I'll, I'll tell meanings. you what she bases it on. I, I can yeah. tell you what she bases it on. Uh, and it's the same thing that we just roll our eyes at. And I know you had this experience at Quantico. They say that it's superb just because so many people apply and they have exactly. so few slots so they can say they're very selective. And, and she gets she goes, into that later. She gets into it immediately. She said they graduated so about 2,000 people in the last two years. And they had, during that time, 48,000 applicants. So about 4% of the people got to go to Quantico. I don't know if that makes them superb. It just make, means that they have a lot of people applying around the country during the Biden inflation for the highest paying law enforcement job that you can achieve probably. and you don't even have to do anything all right so that this would place them amongst the most selective colleges on the planet if we're simply a college but we are much more than that we are the professional training center for the world's preeminent law enforcement intelligence agency contrary to claims from anonymous critics every new agent must pass the high fitness standards in place here at the academy we've we've touched on that i'm sorry 38 sit-ups is not a, a high fitness standard they are tested on and must pass a host of other written and oral skills and aptitudes, including knowledge of legal doctrines. Okay. Um, hey, Garrett, when you went to Quantico and you graduated, did you know a single federal law? Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but only because I looked on my own. Because <laughs> it's not part of the curriculum. <laughs> yeah, they don't teach it. Like, I, I, um, It's a great point because I think of my police academy. We had a statute book, Wisconsin State's Code, that like was mandatory. I think it was the only textbook, text, quote unquote textbook, we had to buy. Like we had to bring it day one. And and we didn't just have like a class that was dedicated to statute time. It was integral throughout the entire academy. Just depending on what course you were in, they'd say, All right, the open up your statute book and go to whatever, you know? And and you would think entering into federal law enforcement at the FBI that you would like touch on some of the main uh, statutes that are used in FBI cases, but no, they, like there's none of that. In, in my experience, there wasn't. Yes. And there's obviously, as you get into the specific 
violation you tend to be working, you get become more of a subject matter right. expert on that. I mean, I know yep. I know a lot about Indian country crimes and the things that we could charge and the nature of it. I couldn't talk to you a lot about white collar or cyber crimes. That's just not my field of expertise. But having come from a background of law enforcement, I know when I arrived to work on the Indian reservations that I was sitting in an interview with with uh, another agent and she was asking questions and I interjected and asked specific questions because I was thinking in my head, oh, I know in the state I came from, uh, if he did something here, that could be an extra crime. And she wasn't even aware of it. So you have to get better. You have to build up your Rolodex of knowledge, even in the field. But the only thing that we actually learned about, I, I would say we learned about wire fraud and we learned about mail fraud because those are always the fallbacks. And, and then, then the 1001 lying to a federal agent. So they got yep. those bases covered for you. So I, I need to correct the record. We did learn about the most basic laws of the FBI Academy. So back to uh, Jackie's letter, Jacqueline McGuire here. And uh, I should make sure to remind everyone we are on the American Radicals podcast. Thank you for joining us today on Rumble, rumble.com slash amradpod. Here with Garrett O'Boyle. You can find him on social media at G-O-B Actual. I am Steve Friend. You can find me on social media at Real Steve Friend. And the show is at amradpod. We are every Tuesday thursday and saturday at high noon eastern time and we are reading uh what i see from jacqueline mcguire who is the assistant director in charge of training of the fbi this is an email that she circulated bureau-wide around the fbi on both the classified and unclassified side as a response to the judiciary committee's report that cited a lots of anonymous people working about their concerns about the FBI's hiring practices, how they are now completely woke and committed to the DEI mind virus. And uh, Jacqueline McGuire writes, it's instructive to look at the data from their academy classes. And she talks about how lots of them are cops and lots of people have advanced degrees. And then she says, has anything changed in our classes? Sure. And for the better. Standing no, still would be an better, enormous mistake. <laughs> Wait for the diversity is their strength. Get ready to drink, folks. <laughs> Standing still would be an enormous mistake and would be a disservice to the public we serve. We must continue to update our training curriculum to face new threats and challenges. We have updated our tactical training facilities to replicate the targets of today, and we have refreshed our physical and defensive tactics training to reflect best practices based on science and research. Our classes are also much more diverse because diversity in its many incarnations makes us better able to meet the challenges the Bureau faces in today's world. There in fact, is. the last special agent class that graduated from Quantico was half women. We also have more people of color and more people from different educational and experiential backgrounds. Uh, diversity does not mean lesser. It means variety and variety is what we need to operate in so many different places across so many different populations to address so many different threats. <sighs> Exhale. I'll tee you up, sir. Do you uh, think any one of them is a, did diversity help them shoot better or, nope. or ask good questions no. uh, on interviews? <laughs> no, 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 no. And I think back to my own time at Quantico. I don't care if you're a woman or a man. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care if you wear a yarmulke or a turban. I don't care. Can you do the job effectively? And what does that mean to me? Well, what did that mean to me when I was a law enforcement officer? It meant, do I trust you to not be weird when we go on an interview? Do I trust you 
to think of questions that I didn't think of when I'm interviewing the subject. Do I trust you to use deadly force if necessary on someone who is fighting me, shooting at me or whatever? If the answer is no to any of those, I don't, it doesn't matter what sex or gender or race or whatever creed you are, you cannot do the job. And I think, you know, like it was probably similar for you at Quantico. I ended up developing like a core nucleus of friends, maybe seven, eight, eight of us. And it was primarily former law enforcement and former military or former both. And in my little group of friends, there was one woman. I'm not saying women shouldn't be allowed to be FBI agents. I don't think that's true. I have some great cop friends who are women who taught me a lot. Two of my FTOs were women, taught me a lot. I think they are fine police officers. Does that mean they are as good as I would be in a use of force with a man who's my size? Probably not. But does that mean I sh we should bar them outright? No. What we're getting into here with this mind virus, which I, I do love that term, it, it really is what it is, and how she throws it in at the end there of that paragraph, the DEI, and it's, we were, this class was half women. Who cares? None of that matters. Can you actually do the work? That is all that matters. And when you have, on the other hand, Miranda's article talking about new agents going home early, not wanting to work late being 50 pounds overweight, not being able to pass the PFT. Like, I'm sorry, you don't get to be an FBI agent. And then Jacqueline says, we're better. No, we are not. You are lying. So, so Jacqueline actually does address those latter two concerns about not wanting to work late and physical fitness, uh, which I do want to throw up here because we want to make sure we're fully transparent. I want to uh, throw up as well. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well said. Well said. So Jacqueline McGuire said, did we lower the standards to admit and graduate more women in our most recent class? Absolutely not. If you want to see the physical fitness standards, <laughs> you should check out this link. <laughs> Think you can do it? Give it a try. The link is to an external website. So uh, they, they wanted this to get leaked out there Yeah, because they want to. Uh, they want this to be taken up by a sympathetic media. And then the people reading that media can check the link and apply, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, this is just a guess, but many of our outside critics will never come close to meeting our standards. Our training is designed to be hard and properly so. Uh, she gets into how the classes are smaller this year, and th that just proves how selective they are, not the fact that they are actually they down on their recruiting numbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she says, I also have heard our critics complain about our new agent our new special agents refuse to put in the long hours required to do this job well. Again, from my own experience, that is nonsense. Last year when I led FBI's Philadelphia division and sent the agents to Mark Houck's house and then smoked a dog, I saw new agents working alongside more senior personnel run a significant counterterrorism investigation that resulted in the arrest of a 17-year-old who had been communicating with a terrorist group and had purchased the components of an improvised explosive device. So... Anecdote, the plural yep. of anecdote is not data. Um, mm -hmm. And she's going to cite one particular instance of a case yeah. where I'm sure the FBI entrapped an emotionally disturbed 17-year-old to commit to buying fake bomb components that they provided him so that they right. could then go and arrest him. Yeah. Like uh, the, the latest uh, FBI entrapment example, I think out of Tennessee this week, where there were three undercover agents talking to this guy for months and then he sells them a suppressor. So that's the other type of charge, right? It's a gun charge. 
If I can't get you on the terrorism, do a terrorism, friend. If I can't get you on the terrorism while I'm poking you with the stick, so do it. Just do the terrorism. I'll get you on a gun charge. I'll get you on 1001. I'll get you on something else that I'm going to hang over your head. And that's exactly what they did here. So um, much cell phoning. So yeah. much. It's You mentioned uh, some of uh, the, the other longer form articles we've gone through like Trevor Aronson's, he's got that podcast, um, Alphabet Boys, in season one. This is that's exactly what they did. They got they they got a guy on a gun charge because he wouldn't do the terrorism, and it's like, and it was a CHS who was running everything, and it's like, dude, th this none of this adds up to the FBI being better off. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. It's it's actually disgusting. Here's where she'll conclude, uh, and as always, it's your problem for noticing the problem. Yeah, you, of you, you are actually the problem. Yeah. So, yes, gaslighting. Some people, including some within our organization, find change unsettling. Change that brings in 50-pound overweight people. Yes, <laughs> that's unsettling. Yeah. But the, the mere fact that something is different than when they graduated from Quantico does not make those changes bad or wrong. And then she cherry-picks some data here. She says, does the FBI look different than we did in 1970? We sure do. Yeah, they don't wear suits anymore. Yeah, in fact, women <laughs> women were not even allowed to be special agents in 1970. Changing with the times is smart and necessary, but some things have not changed and never will, including the high quality of the men and women who raise their hands and take the oath to do difficult and dangerous work as FBI special agents. And I would add an addendum that they take an oath and do not mean it because right. they run off people who take the oath seriously like Garrett O'Boyle. Yeah, well, and also, you know, just like in the 60s when they were targeting their political enemies, they still do that, too. So not all things have they changed for the better, right? Um, oh, man, it's so frustrating. Like, I guess I'll start with this Stockholm syndrome. This is what I think of when we go through that email. I'm not saying Jackie has it, but Stockholm syndrome, just as a refresher, I'm sure everybody has a general idea what it is. Britannica identify or just defines it as the psychological condition of a victim who identifies with and empathizes with their captor or abuser and their goals. That's what these people have. Um, you talked about obtaining the email and then the FBI published it anyways, because they wanted it out there. Out of all the people I talked to, because I heard rumors of this email, Nobody was willing to to give it because they're they're afraid. And this I, is I think we, go ahead. We need to introduce the the Phil Kennedy reference uh, that that we were talking to him. Um, and it was the, the the prostitute. the The people who work for the FBI are like the prostitute with an abusive pimp. Yep. They say, "Yes, he beats me up, but he pays me really well." Yeah, I that, mean that's, that's essentially it. what this is. Yeah, that's that's it right there. That's Stockholm syndrome right there. Like, oh, I'm sympathetic because, well, I don't know why, actually, but hey, they, they pay the bills. So, and, and like, I get it, you know, like I get not everybody. Well, at the end of the Miranda Devine article, she says the authors want to remain anonymous because those still serving know they will be, quote, crushed like whistleblowers before them, says one of the authors. Wonder where they got the word crush from, Steve. Maybe May 18th when we were sitting in front of Congress and at the end of our testimony when i said they will crush you because they will we are living examples of that we still are too by the way and so yeah nobody would give it because 
I don't know. I mean, they could probably backtrack it to somebody. And it's like, you know how many people in the FBI opened that, that email? And now they publish it themselves. But I bet you they would go headhunting if they found out that it was leaked. And here's what I'll say. This was this is another thing that was in our back channel chat that was going on. If you know we're right, because there's been no one on the inside that reached out and said we're wrong. Exactly. Exactly. That's our universal experience. You would think that one of us would have a buddy that would just keep us in line. Hey, man, I, I love you, bro, but you're off. You're, you're wrong. You're making a fool of yourself. It's never yeah. happened to me. Not it's never to happened me. to you. Nobody cool. within our suspendables yep. has had that experience. And yep. you would think that we are pretty good judges of character, pretty good at picking our our, our, our friends within the bureau mm -hmm. uh, because we've all sort of formed our own friends. <laughs> I do want to give us a couple of palate cleanses, though, to close us out for today on the Thursday. Um, and the first one in response to the What I See email from <laughs> Assistant Director in Charge, Jacqueline McGuire of the FBI Training Division. This is something else that the FBI has been pushing out. every. They're doing like a photo of the day, I guess, uh, on their social media. This was from a few days ago. I shared it on social media. And I, I'm interested, uh, since Garrett, you kind of keep your, your Twitter account private, your X account private. What do you see? when you see this. <laughs> Maybe you could I, describe it for the audio audience. Yes. If you are just listening, there is what appears to be a white male clad in multicam, which just a note on multicam real quick. Multicam was originally called um, Operation Enduring Freedom Camouflage Pattern, OEFCP. That's what it was when I received it when I went to Afghanistan. Helped you blend in better. So. One, this is an FBI picture. So why are people in the FBI wearing camouflage that's going to help you blend in better like in Afghanistan? Still doesn't make sense to me. But as as SWAT operators, quote unquote, what Steve and I were, which I just would say I was a SWAT agent. I don't know what we were operating at. We weren't talking okay. about but, uh, <laughs> but we had we were issued multicam. So here's a guy wearing multicam, a helmet. He's got night vision optical device on his head pulled down over his eyes he has Is it over a, both eyes too because i only it, had one eye yeah no. it looks like it's a yeah i only had the mono as well but and yeah. we're not allowed we're not allowed to take night vision into a structure by the way right and we only really ever used it uh like to train with it one time a year to like check the block so anyways uh he's got the night vision pulled down over his eyes and then he's got an AR-15 pattern rifle up to his shoulder. It's And there's a laser coming out of the top of it. It's got a suppressor on it. It's got a flashlight. It's got an, an optic on it, which he appears to be looking through the optic with his night vision, which anyone who's ever used night vision and a AR-15 pattern rifle, that's not how you do that. Like, you don't look, <laughs> you don't look through the optic. That's what the laser's for, but the laser the wouldn't be visible. <laughs> you would have the infrared laser on, so you could see that, and the bad guy couldn't. But also, by the way, in the FBI, you're not allowed to use your laser as a targeting device because I don't actually know why, but you're not allowed to. So if you had your infrared laser on and your night vision on and you're going into a structure, which you're not allowed to do, but if you did, you would be violating policy. Uh, but I wonder how often that happens. But anyways, then, yeah, there's this red laser coming out of the, well, we had pack 15s. I don't know what you guys had, but that's what, that's what our lasers were. Yeah. It's just cosplay. That's what I see. Reader's Digest cosplay. Yeah. 
Yes, it is, but it's good eating. It sure is. Um, we have one more palate cleanse for you guys today uh, on the American Radicals podcast. Before I do that, I want to make sure that we plug the merch store. Garrett's sick, but that doesn't mean he can't uh, make some t-shirts for us today. Yeah. www.the-dispendables.com. Uh, make sure that you're going there. Garrett, uh, I know you're trying to empty out some of the inventory and then uh, bring on some new stuff. We're going to have to have a, like a spring collection or something soon. Right? Yeah, I know. I've got some ideas in the hopper that I want to get to, but um, got to clear out some of this stuff. The uh, the hashtag, are you suspendable, is probably the closest to being gone. I think I have the capability of doing maybe 10 more of those. Um, and then after that, I don't know, I'd have to check. But I got some, I got some ideas that I want to get to. Uh, for the store. I am a little bit behind. So if you've ordered in the last two weeks, I'm hoping to get to that either today or tomorrow. But after this, I might go lay down for a little bit because I'm still feeling <laughs> not quite a hundred percent. But I guess on that note, my palate cleanse, I mentioned this to Steve and Kyle in the back channels yesterday. Psalm 37 is where it comes from. Uh, I'll just do verses 12 through 15. It says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. I do recommend reading the entire psalm. Um, I'm Honestly, I've been struggling with it because I've not seen some of what David talks about there. But uh, I don't know. Just been on my mind lately. I've been reading through it a lot this week. But that's what I have. It, for me, it kind of encapsulates what we've talked about here today. Like, their time will come. Their judgment will come. If it doesn't happen on earth, it'll happen in the end. Well, if it ever does come on earth, and, and I, again, I, I always have to lean on these, some of these speaking engagements I go to. I always have these Q&As, and people will ask me, you know, who – if you were ever offered your job back at the FBI, would you take it? And I always say like, well, I would all, I would only accept the FBI director slot and um, because I want to give the pink slips out to everyone. Yeah. And I think amongst our cadre, uh, I'm, I'm the most likely to be made the FBI director just because I'm clean shaven. Uh, they don't, <laughs> yeah. they don't want to go that far. That's pretty radical. Uh -huh. uh, and, and if I ever get that opportunity, I, I was looking for uh, a nice palate cleanse for the day, something to make, listen you off on a chuckle today. This would be my experience on day one. I would walk into the seventh floor. I'm going to roll this for everyone so you can enjoy it. Well, why don't you tell Mr. Allen? Well, what do you think of him? He's a pedantic, pontificating, pretentious bastard, a belligerent old fart, a worthless, steaming pile of cow dung. <sighs> Figuratively speaking. <laughs> That's the funniest damn thing I've ever heard. You're a real card, Reed. I love a good roast. Do Simmons. Simmons is old. He should have been out of the game years ago, but he can't stay home because he hates his wife. <laughs> Christmas parties, she's the one that gets plastered and calls him a retard. And you talk. 
You're the biggest brown nose I've ever seen. You've got your head so far up Mr. Allen's ass, I can't tell where you end and he begins. <laughs> you have bad breath caused by gingivitis. You couldn't get a porn star off. Your hairpiece looks like something that was killed crossing the highway. I don't know whether to comb it or scrape it off with a shovel and bury it in the line. <laughs> Loser! Idiot! Wimp! Degenerate! That is just what the FBI needs. Someone coming in hot, telling the seventh floor exactly what we all yep. think of them. <laughs> uh, so, folks, I want to make sure we thank you all today for joining us on the American Radicals podcast. Enjoy your day. We'll be back on Saturday. I do want to give you a little bit of look over the horizon. We've kind of teased this. The book study that uh, Garrett and I want to do, we've been talking offline about it. Get yourselves ready. We're going to be starting the book study next Saturday. So about nine days from now, you have nine days to get a copy of at the local library uh, or online. You can get it. Uh, you can use Hoopla, which is great, uh, a great uh, resource for you. That's a great app. Where you can access your local library on the audio format and even the videos. Uh, and the book's going to be Animal Farm. We're going to go back to basics, very much like the Vince Lombardi walking in day one to the Packers saying, this is a football. We're going back to basics. Get a copy of Animal Farm. Read the first chapter. We're going to discuss that, and, uh, and we'll have some fun with it. Uh, but for the rest of the day, guys, thanks for joining us on the American Radicals podcast, and uh, we will see you next time. You've been listening to the voice of the suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. Follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.